0: Even to this day, I cannot hear enough great stories about my dad. And we can never hear enough good stories about Jesus. Amen? The, The Bible barely chronicles the amount of work he's done. And I tell you, there, there is not enough times you can hear about the love and the grace and the mercy and the power of Jesus Christ our Savior. It's not possible. And I hope that today, if anything, even if it's something we've already learned, heard, some theological concept we already get, I hope that if anything, our hearts are stirred in an affection for Jesus as our Father in ways that it never has been before. Okay? Amen? Are we with that? Can we track with that? No? Okay, great. That's perfect. Here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a, uh, an exorcism. We've seen that before. We're going to see a deaf mute healed. We've seen healings before. And we're going to see him feed 4,000 people. Now, all of this seen before, here's the big difference. What we're going to see Jesus do now is he's going to do this amidst the Gentiles. Now, this isn't his first foray into Gentile land. He's been there before. We covered it in Mark 3. He was already been there, but now he's really starting to press in. This wasn't just a one-off moment. It wasn't just Jesus stumbled upon the Gentiles before, did something great, and left, never to come back again. He's saying, no, no, I'm here. He he intentionally leaves his home, leaves his land, will go to these places in Gentile territory to preach the gospel, to do these miracles, to communicate to a people who thought they were outside that they're actually in Side. To, commute, to, uh, to, uh, mm-hmm. to communicate to a people who thought they did not deserve God's love, did not think they deserved him as father, as savior, that they could too be brought into the family. Okay. That's what we're looking at today. I remember um, in high school, and, and you know, I don't know if you guys remember the movie She's All That or uh, Never Been Kissed or Whatever It Takes or any of these just terrible movies of the 90s, okay? Um, But in every single one, there seemed to be this like crazy, like I can't believe that he's going to go talk to her. Or I can't believe that she'll talk to him because the status and the class of these people were so vastly different. So I remember thinking through this this week, and I'm thinking through my high school experience. It's a Mesco Canyon High School, and it worked very much like one of these movies. You see, there was the upper quad, okay? There was about six stairs that separated the upper quad and kind of the lower dredges that no one wanted you know the trenches that no one talked to anyone down there because they're all filthy. Okay? And so you were either upper quad person or you were a lower quad person. And I remember being a lower quad person because I was a freshman and 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 thinking to myself, like man, one day I'm gonna get up there. Okay. And there was a guy, his name was Mike Sands, he was senior captain of the football team. I was a freshman, tiny little football player, just looked up to this guy. And he was the nicest guy at our school. I mean, this guy was the captain, but just a genuine good dude. Loved people, he actually played football at NAU, right? Linebacker, number nine, stud, you can find pictures, he's amazing. Anyway, so Mike Sands, just a great dude. And I remember thinking about, man, that guy's just such a good guy. I would love, I would love to get to know him. I remember one day as a freshman at Tumasco Canyon High School, I'm sitting down in the dredges, down in the bottom where no one should be, and Mike Sands comes down the six stairs, and he looks over at me, and he says, hey, Vince, what's up, man? And I freeze, because it's Mike Sands. And I go, Mike? (laughs) Because I I didn't get a hlut, Mike? (laughs) And he goes, yeah? I said, nothing, Mike. And then I just kept, it was very funny. And so he begins to talk to me. And I remember after he left, because I knew and known, anyway, he came and talked to me. And I remember after he left, people coming around me and saying, like, can you believe that Mike Sands just talked to you? And I was like, no, I can't, right? Like, Mike Sands just talked to me. See, that, such was the gap in our high school, that you just, you didn't do that, right? If you're a, if you're a senior stud football player, you don't go talk to the freshman kid that, that's on the lower quad area. And I, and I really began to think about this, and when we, you guys have to understand, when I say, now Jesus is about to do these miracles amongst the Gentiles, to us that doesn't mean all that much. But to them, this was revolutionary. Okay? Rabbis did not come and teach the Gentiles, especially one like this especially when making the claims that he had made, especially the ones doing the things that he had done. He did not go to lower quad and hang out with the freshmen. Jesus should have stayed with his own people, taught in synagogues, remained with the religious elite, but he doesn't do that. He goes to the outskirts and he comes and teaches these people. And We have to get how incredible the movement of God is to all people, to all races, to all genders. Well, two, but... To all anything, to all backgrounds, to all sin, to all... Jesus moves in in such a way that shows love and grace and community to every single person. And we have to understand the heart of Christ in this if we're ever to love our nation top to bottom, left to right, the way we're supposed to, okay? And not just our nation, our, our city. And gosh, we... I'll tell you what, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. This, a big burden of mine is just, man, we've been in this city for three years, and I continue to see Christians who don't love the native population. And honestly, guys, it's terrible. It doesn't make sense. That's not what we do. So let's just make this real practical. There are people in our lives that when we glean the life of Christ that we're supposed to love To go to, to care for, to shepherd, to provide for, to be Jesus to, that we don't, and we are in sin in that. And we need to learn. And we need to let this this convict us today. Okay, so here we go. That was the intro. He's going to give us three stories today. We're going to look at story one, and then we'll keep going. Verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this woman really, and we've seen this multiple times, has no reason to feel she can go to Jesus. She's a woman, which they didn't do that. She has a, a daughter that is unclean, so you don't go and hang out with the rabbi when you yourself are made unclean by your unclean daughter. You don't do that. Okay, she's a Gentile, already talked about, on the outside, not God's chosen people, not given the grace of God through many people's eyes. You don't go and approach the rabbi if you're this lady, but she goes. Verse 27, he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Okay, And so we did this with the bleeding woman too. She didn't have a name in the story so we gave her a name. It was Diane before you guys complained that wasn't a Hebrew name and so this woman's name will be Joanna. Okay, And so here's the conversation between Joanna and Jesus. And I find it very confusing. Joanna comes up and says, hey, my daughter's got a demon. Can you cast this out? His response is do not let, do not let, or let, let the children eat right before the dogs. And she for some reason gets this and responds, yes, but even the dogs can eat the scraps off the floor. Okay? Even the dogs get to eat the trickle down. To me, if, if I go to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal me? And I hear from him, you know what, man, let the children eat first because you're a dog. I immediately would probably get offended. I would immediately have some pushback. Be like, wait, aren't you supposed to be out love? Or, aren't you? <laughs> Did you just call me a dog? Right? I'm about to punch the savior of the world. Okay. But no, she, she gets something here. That's why I find this conversation so interesting. She, she's seeing beyond something. And So let's look at the metaphor of Christ right now. What's he really talking about? Children in the metaphor. Israel. Jewish people. Okay? The bread. The kingdom message. The message of the gospel. The coming of Christ. Okay? Dogs. Gentiles. Dogs are Gentiles. So he says, listen, let the Jews eat first. But in saying that, also says, well, first, that means there's something coming. Where the, There will be a time where the Gentiles will eat. Okay. There will be a time where the Gentiles are opened up to the gospel. The kingdom, the kingdom message will come to them. And so she gets this metaphor somehow, and she understands, listen, in the midst of that, yeah, that's true. The gospel did go to the Jews first, but, but me, a dog, someone not part of the family, someone on the outside, even when they miss their opportunity... Don't the dogs get to eat as well? Don't the Gentiles get to capitalize on the fact that the Jews did not accept the gospel? Even in this moment, let's look at the story, let's look at Mark, right? So you look at Jesus, he's come on the scene, and most of the people persecuting Jesus are Jewish. Most of the people that are saying, you're crazy, you're wacko, you're not who you say you are, we're not going to follow you. Most of the people trying to kill him. Jewish people, they've missed it. And so now it's come to the Gentiles, this beautiful gospel message. Here what I, here's what I find for this woman. Three things. I think she acknowledges and understands three things. I think, one, she does acknowledge that the Jews were God's chosen. Right? She acknowledges that the children equals Jews in the metaphor. She acknowledges this. In other words, she's acknowledging history. She's acknowledging the previous story of God. Okay? Then she also acknowledges that she's a Gentile, and the Gentiles are not God's chosen people. Old Testament, right? Not God's chosen. So what's she doing there? She's acknowledging her undeservedness of Jesus. And then thirdly, I think what she acknowledges is that Jesus has come for both. So in the midst of this, even though she knows it was meant for them and I don't deserve it either, for some reason Jesus came for both. And so what we see here in this woman is the acknowledgement of the gospel story the history, the story, right? she acknowledges God created. You're the God of the Old Testament. You're the God who called the Jews to be his own people. You're that guy. And so she acknowledges what? God created the world. But then she says, you know what? But I know who I am and I know I'm undeserving. So she acknowledges her own sin. She acknowledges God created. She acknowledges sin came into the world through man's fall. But she acknowledges lastly what? That Jesus saves all. She acknowledges creation, fall, redemption. And what does Jesus give her? He gives her restoration. In the grand narrative of the gospel, we always talk creation, fall, redemption, restoration. She acknowledges creation, fall, redemption. And Jesus gives her, in this moment, a glimpse of restoration as her daughter is freed from this demon made whole again. This beautiful picture of the gospel just being such woven into the text in this woman. So what was her why why does this statement by her actually earn her the the healing of her daughter? It's because she acknowledged the gospel. She acknowledged Jesus and that's it. Had nothing to do with anything more, it wasn't her persistence, it was she acknowledged the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that was enough. Okay. Story two, okay, story two, verse thirty one. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through to Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epphatha, that is be opened. Okay, can we acknowledge this is the weirdest, strangest, most awkward miracle of all time. Okay? So I want you to think about this. You're hurt and you want Jesus to come heal you and everything up to this point has just been like, you're healed, you're healed, touch my garment, you're healed. It is very uninvasive. And then this time, Jesus walks up to this guy who's a deaf mute and he takes his two fingers and he puts them in this guy's ears. Okay? This is what he does. Puts them in the guy's ears then he spits, okay? So if I'm the guy, I'm just standing here like, what is going on? <laughs> like, just do what you did last time, right? Hands and ears, spits, I'm hoping off to the side, right? Just off to the side, takes his fingers out, touches his tongue with wax-infested fingers, right? I mean, this is, like, we're not clean now. They really weren't clean back then. And so touches his tongue, says the word, which is be open. So this is his, this is how he's going to fix this guy, right? And, I, and, I, and it's like, have you guys ever, like, just seen something where you're like, you just watch, you're like, there's no way that's going to work, right? There's just no way that's, the, that's, like, that's not the trick, okay? Like, you've watched any YouTube, there's this YouTube video I was watching this week. This kid, I don't think he's, he's probably a teenager or something, he built himself some wings, you know, out of, like, just, I don't need cardboard or something. And he's like, I'm going to jump off this roof. And, and you're just like, that's not going to work, Right? <laughs> And it didn't, you know. And, and, you know, you just see how mean friends are when, when someone crashes to the ground, they keep filming. You know, like, guys writhing in pain and friends are laughing. You know, you're just awful people. But this is not going to work, Jesus. And so what happens? Let's read what happens. Actually, there's one thing, this nugget I almost forgot. And this is just something that I think was pretty amazing to me as I looked at this and I think speaks to where we're at today with what we read earlier and as we look to go love this world. Is, uh, is right before Jesus says, be opened, it says that Jesus sighed, right? And you don't see him do this. You don't see him do this anywhere else. It says, before Jesus, after saying, be opened, sighs. And many commentaries and many theologians would say that the reason why he does this is because in this moment, he has this rushing confrontation with the brokenness of the world. That in this moment, as he's going through this whole ordeal and this crazy way to heal this guy, he's thinking through, gosh, man, there is just so much brokenness in this world. This deaf, mute man, this is not the way it ought to be. Brokenness and pain and sin and hurt, this is not the way it ought to be. I shouldn't have to come. I shouldn't have to come and do this crazy thing to heal this guy. The brokenness of the world in a moment, just rushes to Christ. He sighs and goes through with this miracle. And I just, I love to remember, again, as Christ as our Heavenly Father, that He doesn't just look upon the brokenness of this world and say, well, it's no big deal, I'll take care of it. That he's, He is broken up. He's in deep thought, anguish, about the pain that's in this world and walks along those who experience the same thing. Verse 35, let's see what happens. And his ears were opened, so it works. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so, I I don't know if you guys, I don't know why I'm going YouTube. I swear I don't watch it that often. But there's another YouTube clip um, where... These people get these these ear implants and get to hear for the first time. Anybody seen this video? Like a few of you, raise your hand. I don't want to feel awkward. Oh, you know what, guys? There's so many of you. Where were you like three seconds ago? I'm up here feeling weird. Um, and you watch that video, and I can't make. I've watched it like 97 times. I cry every time. I'm just, you see the expression on these people's faces they've never heard before, and all of a sudden they hear sounds. You see this little baby, right? You guys remember the baby, and he's just like chilling like this, and he hears something. Okay? Uh, and he hears something and he just starts smiling You know, like what is this and again I just think about this moment I love to kind of insert myself into the story if I can and just think what is this like for this guy this dude could not hear anything could not speak and in an instant the rush of sound is returned and restored to his body we have a good father who knows what his people needs and gives it gives those necessities now, we'll come back to this, but the, but the quote that he has done all things well for me is this a tremendous quote. And a tremendous thing that I, I like to kind of just store in here and just kind of pull out and live by. He has done all things well, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Last story. We're trying to move quicker. I know it's a lot. Jesus feeds 4,000 people, Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. Is this sounding kind of familiar to anybody else? We go back to Mark chapter 6. Jesus fed... 5,000, probably closer to ten to 15,000 when you add women and children. And so now he's feeding 4,000. He's sitting before the people here, and he's like, listen up, guys. He's talking to his disciples. Hey, we've got a people. I'm feeling compassionate on them. They're hungry. We need to feed them. You would think that then the apostles would say, we got this, right? You would think that they would say, Jesus, great, we just did that. Let's go do it again. Instead, they say this. And the disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? In other words, I know you just showed us how to do this, but I still don't trust you. I know you just proved to me that you're God and you're powerful, but I still don't believe it. I know you just showed me and proved to me you're great and you can do mighty works and you can do this very specific thing. You've already done it. But I don't think you can. I don't think you want to do it again. And I've forgotten. And I thought about that and I immediately kind of just got frustrated with the apostles. I was like, come on, guys. Like, come on. It's like, I remember my, my dad taught me many things, you know. He, he taught me how to cook some stuff, taught me how to write a bike. I didn't need to be taught again these things the next day. It was like, well, do what you did yesterday, just do that again. Okay? But the more I thought about it, and I began to think about my relationship with God and the things that he's taught me over the years and the things that I've seen, and then I've realized in a very powerful, rushing way that I am this very person. I don't know which one said, was bold enough to then say, well, how do we do that? But I ask that question all the time. You know, I've seen God do incredible things. And I'm sure you guys have too. Maybe some more, some less. I don't know all of your stories. But me personally, I've just been able, grace, to see some incredible things. People, I mean, people before my eyes healed of just (laughs) disease paralysis, just crazy stuff. And I think to myself, today in 2015 America, in Flagstaff, Arizona, oh, you don't want to do that again. I think to myself, well, I, I can't do that. I know this other Christian who's no better or worse than me did it, but I, I could never do that. I, I, I've seen God save people. I was just running through story after story after story in my mind this, this week. Of stuff, just all these stories of seeing God just intervene and be God. And then I think about my life now and how I functionally disbelieve those things because I'm not living that way. I remember this one time, we were out sharing our faith in, in Pacific Beach, San Diego. And we go down to the ocean and we're just kind of, what are we doing out here? This is just weird and stuff like that. And we see this gal and she's on the shore. And, and for whatever reason, me and my friend Katie. We just beeline and start running towards this girl. Okay. And we see her there, and she's just standing on the side of the ocean. She's looking off, and we come up to her and say, hey, we'd love to talk to you about God's love for you. And she immediately just starts to bawl. She just starts crying. And we say, hey, what's going on? Why, why are you crying? She says, just this very moment, I, I was going to kill myself tonight, and I asked God, if you're real, you need to send me someone to stop me. And a minute later, you guys showed up. Okay, that very same night, get a, my buddy Bigley. Get, I think I might even share this story. He's on the phone. Someone calls him. It's a wrong number. Guy calls Bigley on his phone. Hey, this is Bigley. It's a weird name, I know. Guy says, oh, sorry, wrong number. Bigley says, well, what if it's the right number, friend? <laughs> Shares the gospel with this guy over the phone. Guys get saved over the phone. Comes and join us. Downtown, or down in Pacific Beach, sharing his faith. The same night, some other guys, guys hot box in his truck, right, rolls down the window, smoke billows out. People share the gospel with him. He gets out, throws away his paraphernalia, and gives his life to Christ. And we had at the end of that night, there was literally 42 people that gave their life to Christ in this one evening. 20 different people going out, sharing their faith, and all those 42 came to church that next Sunday. Okay, so, so I think I'm just I'm using this as illustration because I, I remember those moments. I remember the power of God. I remember it's not about me. I remember about his grace and goodness and his desire to save. And then I look at my life now and I think, I'm a chicken. I have not done something like that. I have not approached someone randomly and told them about the love of Christ in some years. And I begin to ask myself, man, if he did it then, why do I believe he won't do it now? And so a lot of questions have to rush in me and say, well, what am I doubting about God? Or what don't I love about the person that's standing next to me that hasn't heard about Christ? And guys, when we look across this world, when we look across our nation, we look across the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that exists here, I tell you what, there is no other answer. And people are trying to figure it out right now. People are trying, and you hear all the pundits, and they're talking on every news channel, how are we going to fix this problem? And I guarantee you, there are some, listen, and not to say there aren't some good things, some things that as a country and as a world and some, and some people with political power should be doing, whatever. The answer is always and forever, Jesus. The answer is always and forever the gospel. And I tell you what, we've got to stop relying on other people to present it to the world. You, friend, are supposed to present it to the world. We often like to celebrate here because the reality is, and we've talked about this before, is that much of the ministry and the gospel ministry, the goodness that you will see God moving in, you will never know about. As a church, in our ministry, yeah, we we get to count certain things, so we'll count the number of people we baptize, we can count the number of professions of faith, we can count the number of people in the seats, we can do all that, but most of ministry, guys, in your life, in the church's life, is going to be stuff that is immeasurable. You will never know by how you loved your neighbor, you will never know how many divorces they didn't have. You will never know by your ministry, by your love, by your care, by sharing the gospel, how many kids don't end up in prison. You'll never know how many kids go to college because of your investment. You'll never know all of these stats. It's the immeasurables of the Christian faith. And so as I look upon our, around our nation, I say, man, the answer is Jesus. And guess what? Who has Jesus? It's the church. It's, it's the Christians. And so stop keeping them to yourself. And listen, and I say that fully sitting in the pew with you right now. On this Father's Day, we look to these stories and we say, gosh, man, you've kept telling me these things. You're a good dad. And I'm sorry for my stubbornness that I forget it. And so what's Jesus going to do? And it's no shocker here. Verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people and they set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanutha. Here's the gospel for us this morning. Is that even in the midst of the stubbornness, the forgetfulness, whatever it caused for the apostles to not step out in faith, fear of God, whatever it was, God still accomplishes his mission. God is still going to care for this world. So the gospel for us is, is like, man, we can charge ourselves all day and we can run out here excited. The reality of the Christian walk is we're probably going to fail tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We get back up, we try again, but the goodness and the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that his mission is not conditional on you. His salvation of you was not conditional on you, so his mission to the world is also not conditional on you. He is redeeming this world. He is a good father who is loving those whom he has brought back into his family. And now we have the opportunity to be part of that family business to be about what our Father is about. And it's to tell the world about a good and gracious and loving Father who is redeeming all things. And I'll tell you what, if the church did this, if we lived that life, I I wouldn't say that we'd never see Charleston again, but we'd see less of Charleston. We'd see less of Baltimore. We'd see less of the systemic oppression that exists around our nation in all types of minorities. We'd see all sorts of incredible Christ-centered things. If we just do the simple thing that God's asked of us, and that's just to be his children who follow what their father has done. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that we get to, again, hear more and more stories about you. We get to just continually understand just how good you are. And God, we get to hear stories that shape us, that let us and remind us that you have done all things well, including save us, give us that wellness that we could go and share this message of wellness with the world. So, God, I I just want to confess, God, repent. Turn from my uh, rationalism, God, from my strategy, God, from my ability to think I know better, from my forgetfulness, from all of that, God, and I pray if you would cause my heart to turn to 180, God, walk towards you and follow you in everything with abandon. God, just knowing it's just not conditional on me. I can't ruin your witness. You're going you're gonna, to, I can't ruin your mission. And so God, thank you for that this morning. Thank you for this, this community and thank you for this day. God, I do lastly just want to pray for the many in our world that, that are fatherless. And God, there are too many. There are too many. There are too many that also have a distorted view of you because of that truth. So God, would you cause cause a revival in the hearts of men to be good fathers that reflect the image of God that is bore on them? Would you do that in my heart? Would you do that in every man's heart in this room? Would you bless every father today? God, as we just do our best to reflect our Father in heaven. God, we love you, we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So now, as always, we're going to take a couple minutes and just sit and reflect on the Word of God and just let it speak to us and shape us and and cause us to go whatever direction we want to with it as, uh, as God speaks to us all differently. So let's take that time, and then we'll continue to respond to him in just a moment.